All right. Well, welcome back to For Many People's Strength. As uh, the World Cup is over, Canada's journey has been long over. Uh, we through different things, both of us getting sick at different times, and uh, Gurley being busy with going to other matches and just everything going on. We weren't able to record one uh, between uh, then and now, but uh, we are here now to uh, kind of wrap it all up. Uh, Gurley was on the ground in Qatar for a lot of it, saw even past Canada playing and uh, just, man, what a, what a world cup, you know, the, um, you know, the, the politics and the human rights and all that is absolutely important, absolutely needs to be talked about. Um, but just from a football standpoint, from a soccer standpoint, if it was just soccer and nothing else in this universe, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a great tournament, but I mean, it was a great tournament because there was lots of good matches and lots of um, real legends of the game playing at a really high level. And um, the supporters were fantastic. I mean, everything was in a really good spirit. And, um, you know, people all came together and that was obviously helped a great bit by the fact that it was all basically in one, one city um, compared to other World Cups. Some people obviously flew out in the day, but um, that's a unique aspect. But at the same time, um, you know, the supporters, the, 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 the atmosphere provided by obviously Argentina, but certainly Morocco and Tunisia and some of these other nations that, uh, people don't always associate with having huge fan bases really showed out on the, on the, at the tournament. And, um, so yeah, those are the things for me that made this such an incredible world cup was obviously, you know, I think the greatest final of all time and the conversation for the greatest match of all time. Plus, you know, drama at the end of the group stages, some great knockout stage matches. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think that as much as they pulled it off, I don't think, you know, you give a ton of credit to the organizers, particularly for this being this great event. I mean, it was it was the matches in the field that made this a great event, right? If the knockout stages were poor and we had a bunch of one nil matches going down the line and then you know a nil nil going to penalties kind of final no one would be saying this is the greatest tournament of all time but it, it was it was because of of the performances of the of the players in particular yeah no absolutely yeah it's pretty amazing you know obviously there's lots of podcasts and we could talk for a million years about everything to talk about which there's much i want to really start anyways by focusing on canada um, and the uh, the legacy, maybe, or what we can take, I suppose, from this World Cup, and you know, I bounced back and forth to listener and, and Gurley to be honest about being, you know, whether how much you know of a right do I have to be disappointed at, at the lack of a result? You know, uh, John Herdman said a million times, "We're so proud, and we played great soccer, and dual nationals were texting me like crazy, and." Blah, blah, blah. So I guess I'll just ask you in simple terms, Gurley. How, like, was this World Cup a success? Was it just enough to be there? Like, I don't, I tell us, tell me how to feel. Cause I, I keep, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm conflicted in so many ways, even, even with time to separate, I separated from, you know, Canada, you know, the final game against Morocco early December. It's been a million weeks. Feels like it's been a million years ago, but. I don't know. T tell me how to feel, Gourley. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not 100% sure how I feel, either, so I'm not going to be uh, <laughs> a lot of clarity here. But um, for me, it was a, a very mild disappointment, I think. Um, 
some some really good performances at times. Certainly, the first match was a good performance, but you know, if you outplay a world class team, and I think you know people are sort of down on Belgium a bit, but obviously, as you see the tournament progress, it was a tough group, and I think we knew that going in anyway. But um, maybe not as tough as a as, didn't realize it was going to be as tough a group as it ultimately turned out to be. But um, when you outplay a team like Bel- outplay a team like Belgium as, as they did, you need to get the result, especially in the opening match of the tournament. Um, to to kind of give Croatia some bulletin board material to I think make some some questionable choices with the starting lineup against Croatia um, that really hindered their ability to to get a result ultimately. Um, you know, those are disappointing to to open the match against Morocco the way they did and make kind of the calamitous mistakes that they really hadn't made all through qualifying. Um, you know, it was. It was disappointing in that regard. If they had, I mean, I know everything gets ratcheted, ratcheted up for the World Cup, but, um, you know, if they had made that kind of, you know, just basically hand a team a goal in the first five minutes of a match, if they missed chances the way they missed them against Belgium, like they would have been hard pressed to qualify, right? So, um, hmm. if the team had played at the level they'd played at and, you know, and, and been as sharp as they could be. Um, and you give you credit to the opposition for some of that, I know, but at the same time, chances are chances. The chances were created, you know, that giveaway, um, the, the bad back pass, the bad clearance by Borean. I mean, that's just compounding errors. So, um, for me, that's a little disappointing. And I think, um, there was every opportunity to produce a somewhat better performance. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you go in with, with expectations and pressure and you lose three matches, it's, uh, it's not what, uh, what they set out to do. And it's not what we all hoped and expected. And I, I, I didn't necessarily think that getting out of the group was attainable. It certainly was a goal, but, uh, it was a very lofty goal, but at the same time, I think based on the performances, they should have at least had a result, if not possibly a win. Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think one thing will, that I'll say in, and you can tweet until you're blue in the face if you want. You can, you know, podcast until you're blue in the face if you want. But but John Herdman and the players are going to take the tournament how they want to take it, how they choose to take it. They're not, they're not going to be told that they should say sorry. They're not going to be told that they, you know, and, and I don't think anybody said anything horribly wrong. I think a lot of people would just like John Herdman to say, you know, hey, I got a few things wrong. He did say there was learnings, which is maybe the closest he'll give us. I think it took him a long time after the debacle in Jacksonville. I think it was against the States when we got crushed in the second leg of the Nations League final for him to say, you know, I was a little naive. And the same thing in the in the, the debacle against Brady <laughs> at the Gold Cup in 2019, where it took him a long time to say, you know, well, maybe I maybe I made a mistake or two. Um, and, you know, John Herdman is knows a lot more about soccer than me obviously but he uh, he he he's also relatively young compared to you know some of the people he's facing and and definitely Canada as a as a club is inexperienced big time compared to teams that he's facing and um yeah i mean he 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 has those all those women's experiences and those are those are really great and phenomenal and huge and important and and massive massive and and uh, you know with that in mind i thought maybe he'd be a little bit better managing the tournament than than maybe he did and um you know he can he kind of came out like with the deer in the headlights in some in some ways at least that's how i read it from 
different po- uh, pre- post post you know pref- press conferences and whatever like oh dear i'm getting myself in trouble oh no like uh, like <laughs> you know kind of kind of this this kind of um i don't know don't, don't want to say sorry but but i'm going to like peel it back a little bit and say you know the croatians are pretty good at soccer and that kind of thing but uh, anyways i could ramble about this for a long time but my point is that again they they they're going to take it how they're going to take it and we're going to take it how we're going to take it and they're taking it pretty much like as all positive and I like oh we wish we got to could get some results but you know the big like my my biggest point is a like they're going to take it and b like you talked about results that's the key the key word that I think a lot of people were like oh we want results we want results and like it was it's almost like and you can tell me if this is unfair that results were not even the second most important thing not the third most important thing i don't even know where down the list but way down the list like and and they keep mentioning all sorts of other things ahead of results as the important points from this from this world cup and you know i was reading josh cloak's phenomenal voyager's book i don't know if you've read it girly uh, yet but uh, he talked about all the all the and it just made me relive the qualifying games where Canada managed games so well, you know, they managed that game in Nashville to to earn a draw. They managed the game in Hamilton to to win against the States. They managed Ice Teca really well, got some luck for sure against the Mexicans. And, you know, there, there's so many situations where Canada managed things to get results in a way that's so different than this World Cup. I don't know, like, is it is that an unfair statement where I say that results were way down the list of priorities for, for John Herdman, at least? Well, I think when you're trying to um, plan how, I mean, obviously the end goal is to win matches, but I think in the way Herbert approaches things, it's a very compartmentalized approach. Whereas if we do this and this and this, and we have, you know, a certain number of passes, break a line or a certain number of things that do this, and we're have a certain amount of recoveries, then things will follow for us. And I think, you know, certainly in the Belgium match, they probably hit all those benchmarks they wanted to, but they just couldn't put the ball in the net. Um, so, but I mean, yeah, I think on, on the day, right, you know, at any point in time, um, you can play great and still lose. And so putting the you know results are all that really matters, but at the same time, um, I think there were some teams that went into the tournament um, only focused on results and just trying to grimly defend and see if they could make a goal or something. And I think that didn't work for anyone else. So I like that we... It worked for um, Morocco. I'd say Morocco managed things that way. No? Sure. But I mean, Morocco also um, didn't sit back as much. They were combative centrally, right? They they were they did a lot of work in the, in the midfield to try and limit space and time when they work defensively. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think they were overly defensive. They were tough to break down defensively, but I don't think they were set up defensively the same way uh, some other teams were, you know, Uruguay being a particularly notable example. But even, you know, England basically set up shop to play for a draw against the U.S. in their second match, and it worked out well for them. But, I mean, that's that's an interesting approach from my, my perspective. Um, I think at the end of the day for me, I mean, I'm proud of the way the players performed. I mean, I I don't think there was a player that went out there that didn't absolutely give it all they had. And they, they put a ton of effort in and they worked really hard Mm -hmm. and they played with a lot of passion and, um, you know, played quite well, certainly for stretches. Um, you know, 
Stefanos Dacchio is, in my mind, the most important player on the side. You lose him basically, you know, almost halfway through the first half of the second match where he kind of limped around for the end of that first half and, and managed. But, I mean, you look at the the first half of that second half, uh, for the first half of that first half against Croatia plus the Belgium match when he was able to play, and he still probably was not fully fit, but was able to at least play. Canada played pretty well. Once they lost him, it got a little dodgy in the fact that they decided to break um, what they'd been doing, I guess, and, and have a team just play consecutive matches on short rest. I think set a team up in a bad position, which is unfortunate given all he's done. I thought that was unfair to him because um, he obviously didn't have a very good match against Croatia. And uh, I don't think that was a surprise to anyone. As soon as he was in the starting lineup, I just wasn't sure how much he had left to give. And, you know, without a stack cube beside him for a stretch there, it got ugly pretty fast. But, um, no, I do think that the fact they tried to go out and take the matches to teams, they didn't sit back. There's there's something noble about that, and I appreciate it. Um, at the end of the day, um, it was a little naive at times at the same time, too. Uh, you know, we saw lots of matches um, in qualifying um, and also friendlies where um, even I go back to the the pre-COVID friendlies against Barbados where there's a couple times where Canada has eight or nine guys in the final third and all of a sudden it's a 1v1 <laughs> in the back with some Barbados guy. And I'm just like, you know, if we need nine guys to break a defense down, we've got a problem because you can't commit that many players to attack and i mean we saw lots of times where that straight ball over the top really caught us out because we just didn't have much cover back there we don't have a ton of pace in the central defense pairing um and yeah but that was part of the 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 mo from from day one is you've got the the back three with the center backs that still get forward and stuff and you know you just can't commit those numbers forward and i mean it's a really risky game and um, it burnt us in, in two matches. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, you know, that, that kind of, it, 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 it's hard to like nail, uh, a specific, you know, rain like one to 10 to say like, this was a, not a success. This was a success. I mean, I absolutely think just, just getting there, qualifying 32 team tournament, having the experience for the players and for Herdman and for the staff and for soccer Canada ahead of hosting. Like you just, you just can't, I don't know. You just can't um, like, you, you just can't rep- reproduce that. Like you can't make it up. You can't make a PowerPoint presentation, like to, to be informed about it really. Like you, you just, you need to, uh, like you, you need to experience it. And, and they did. So, I guess it's a success, right? I mean, it it was a success that didn't feel great, is what I guess I'm comfortable at this point uh, saying. It was cool. It was cool. I'm sure being there must have been amazing just in terms of the atmosphere and the spirit and all those people, as you mentioned in previous podcasts, coming up to be, oh, Canada played so great against Belgium, blah, blah, blah. Like, maybe could have got something against Morocco. Actually scored against Morocco. Not many people did that. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so I guess, I guess we'll say it was a successful... It was definitely a successful uh, campaign. I wouldn't say the World Cup went how I would have dreamed of it, but if maybe maybe we, you know, there's an element too of, you know, uh, how much did, like, were we going to win the World Cup? No. 
how far were we going to go? I don't know. But for Herdman, seems like the value was playing good soccer, playing with bravery, you know, impressing the world enough that that Daniel Jebison and whoever, you know, would hit up his phone uh, and say, you know, like, I kind of like the way that you played against Belgium. Hey, like, maybe I'll give this Canada thing a shot. Um, so I think obviously that element can be invaluable. I want to ask you, you know, about that, you know, kind of moving forward concept of, uh, you know, what impact this tournament might have had on people trying to decide to play for Canada. And a couple guys I know that the Turkish guy, Cardiolu and Marmouche, and those guys are out. They've already played for other national teams. Um, I guess I guess the big one's obviously still Daniel Jebison, but is there others maybe that you're thinking about and, and kind of how do you think they might see this World Cup? Because obviously as a fan or as a supporter, we can see it one way and the team can see it the other way. But do you think that, you know, there there's some names that you can think of that that maybe they think this did swing them at least a little bit in some way? Well, I mean, that was sort of the the irony for me was Herdman talking about, uh, you know, dual nationals, and now we're focused on dual nationals. And I sort of thought, well, that focus should have been a year ago when we were apparently terrified of breaking up this incredible chemistry that we had, but, yeah. you know, didn't. I mean, it's it's valuable and it's important, and I appreciate the, the tightness of this group, and that really was a big X factor in them qualifying. But um, to say that now, I mean, I, you know, I think Stefan Mitrovic is officially gone, you know, Enos Sally's gone, which, I mean, I don't think we're captaining a 15-year-old, but, you know, Caddy Blue, I didn't expect, would come and, and not play for Turkey. But, um, yeah, some of the really important pieces, like, I mean, Mitrovic is a very good player. And I think moving forward, that's could be a guy you're going, geez, we could really use a Stefan Mitrovic. And he's, you know, has played a, a Nations League match. So as far as I know, he should be pretty much done and dusted. But, um yeah, I mean, I, the flip side of the Jebison thing is, I mean, who knows what the future holds, but he's barely getting a match for Sheffield this year. Um, you know, it's tough to see him finding his way into play for England at, at a senior level, even though he has been fairly regularly at youth team level. But um, there's just so much talent. It's it's a tough team to get into. Mm. Even players who really deserve it, like obviously... Um, um, Tamori um, didn't get named to the World Cup team, which I think is a crime, but that's just speak to how difficult it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I we'll see what ends up happening in terms of, of other guys, but, you know, I don't think a Lucas Diaz is likely to go anywhere else. Um, I don't know that Marcelo Flores is capped tied to Mexico, but that ship seems to have sailed. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how many other big dual nationals are out there. Um, Dunzier, uh, the keeper for Leicester City, who's just a huge man, who's a U.S. youth international that's eligible for also for Nigeria, I believe, but kind of came up with the white cap system, uh, at least for a little bit. He's been over in England for quite a while, but you know he's an interesting prospect and goal. And also you still have um, 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 Goodman at, at Crystal Palace who came into a U-17 camp and is you know supposed to be a pretty good prospect as well. Uh, Justin Smith, I really like, and obviously he's also eligible for France. But again, I mean, I can't imagine um, that's a it's very obviously a very very difficult team to get into. We saw that uh, tournament, so yeah. um, there very well may be other guys that we aren't aware of or or that I'm not aware of certainly. But um, 
And a Daniel Jebison, I mean, he fits a profile that the Canada's really have right now in terms of being a pretty big body. He's also pretty fast, um, you know, fast more than quick even, which is a lot of quick players in the national team. But, you know, having that guy to stretch the back line and play off the back shoulders and something they really haven't a, a target man, certainly not a Cavallini or a Laren. He's sort of a different profile, and he's also much taller than those guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's an appealing kind of guy that can lead the line. I think Jonathan David could play off of a player like that and whether or not Jemison will be at that level, I guess we'll see, you know, we're three and a half years away from the next world cup. So there's a lot of time for, for things to change. Certainly um, you don't have to go too far back in history to think about four years ago when you know, Alistair Johnson, Taylor Buchanan, Ismail Kone, you know, those guys were just not even on the radar really. So um, things change pretty quickly. So we'll see if in terms of, guys coming out of the woodwork and possibly being options. But um, yeah, Jefferson seems like the kind of the, the bigger name um, at the moment anyway. Yeah, no, no question. And, and, you know, there's, there's other names that have been, you know, flying around. I know it's coming from inside Ross County, but clearly like their manager in Scotland was excited. And there's about four, three or four Canadians, obviously on Ross County that, that, you know, about the Tory and, and Pat and whatever, and he's like, they they should push for Canada starts and whatever. And we're all like, uh, there's a lot of quality right now in Canada, man. Well, like, these guys have like to earn a, it. But I like Accio, and I I think Latoury's a guy that I wouldn't mind seeing at the Gold Cup. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a young guy. He's got a lot of good qualities. Um, uh, I'm gonna butcher the name. The the central defender for uh, Forge, uh, Bellawu. Mm-hmm. Olabi Balawu, is that what it is? Um, you know, I'm not sure he's eligible for Canada yet, but I hopefully should be soon. That's an interesting guy, certainly in the center back position where Canada could use some help. Um, there's a few other central defenders that, um, you know, Halbuni, uh, um, Nasa Mekadice, who are both potential dual nationals, I guess, who could be. Um, potentially players that could be in the mix here. Yeah. Obviously, Dominic Sator went over to Poland. That's interesting for a guy that's kind of entering his prime right now. But um, yeah, I, there's not, to me, there's outside of, of Jebison, you know, the sort of the the yeah. big, big name guys um, have kind of made their choices already. And, and most right. of them, it, it wasn't with Canada. So, yeah. um, you know. Which is why it's, I thought it was weird to that he, that was kind of his angle was everything's fine because these guys texted me, and I was like, oh, okay. But uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being unfair to to Mister Herdman, but I don't know. I, I, as I, you know, people people said uh, you know to me at different play different points like, um, you know he uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't answer to you and blah blah. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but. Like it's uh, it's frustrating. I know. I, I guess I guess one more sort of two one or two more things I want to talk about is this like backlash, this like aggressiveness towards like people being critical. I mean, they talk about oh, we're a proper football nation, blah blah blah. In proper football nations, people voice like their opinions and complaints, and when they're upset, like a lot, a lot, like even way more. And the the sensitivity towards you know, saying you cannot criticize Alfonso Davies for anything and you can't criticize his team for anything. Like, <clears throat> I kind of hated that, like, response personally. And I kind of got that sense. And again, like, it's, it's like the 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 question you can ask is, so what? But my, my, my thing is that, like, 
you know, if they want to be a proper quote unquote football country, quote unquote, that like th- these things come with all of that too. And you just say, you know, like your fans are entitled to their opinion people, but I, I don't know. Did you get that sense where there's just like this hypersensitivity about any kind of negativity too? Like, I don't know. It was kind maybe of, it was kind of weird. Maybe a little bit. And I, I was really removed from the discourse that kind of came out of that article. Um, criticizing Davies that I, you know, that whole thing had been blown up, um, backlash and then digested. And I barely even knew it was happening. So I was a little removed from some of that stuff being in Qatar and not really catching a lot of Canadian media. Um, but I did feel like, um, there was certainly a number of people who seemed relatively new to supporting Canada and possibly new to being soccer fans who seem to have um, unrealistic expectations. And then as soon as Canada didn't meet those unrealistic expectations, they kind of crapped all over the players and the team and whatever else. Um, and to me, that's just not really fair. It's, it's, it reminds me of certain other fan bases around here where every player gets hyped to the skies unrealistically. And then when they don't perform to this unrealistic expectation, they get, they get killed. And it's like, well, they're not as bad as you think they are now. And they were not, were near as good as you thought they were to begin with. So, um, you know, just be a little more realistic, but I do think there's room for criticism of the team. And I do think, um, it, it needs to be valid. I mean, and I think, um, there are people who aren't really uh, used to the criticism. I know in his post-Croatia press conference, um, Herdman defended Hutchinson and said he played a good match, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's the leader and he does this and that and whatever. And then, you know, there's a couple of follow-up questions where they sort of like broke down the first three <laughs> Croatia goals and sort of said, well, in this play, he didn't do this. Though in this play, you know, they really, mm-hmm. you know, got in the weeds. And I think it was not necessarily Canadian media that did that, but they basically forced him to admit that okay maybe i was wrong that you know maybe there were some mistakes out there made by our captain but um the fact that he wasn't willing to go there i mean i think there's a certain element of what john herdman knows and believes and digests and what he says Mm -hmm. um so for him to always be saying no we learned a lot this has been a great experience everything's great I mean, there's no point in self-flagellating at this point. Like, it doesn't do anyone any good. As long as he's internalized some of the things that went right and went wrong. And I think he's a pretty analytical guy that's open to ideas. Um, so I'm hopeful that he's done that and will continue to do that and sort of look at things that went well, didn't go well, things we can improve mm-hmm. on as we prepare for uh, for 2026. But, yeah, if he's going to say everything's great and everything's sunshine and, need, you know, I'm really proud of the players and whatever, you know, that's, that's all fine and good. That's kind of for the fan base and for everyone else, right. That's, that's sort mm-hmm. of trying to, to, um, it's probably the whole motivation piece, but no, I think it is going to be criticism. And I think the more there's expectations, um, you get more criticism and players, um, don't always like being criticized, especially ones, you know, humans don't like being criticized Well, <laughs> for sure. And especially when you spend a lot of time being told you're great. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at Elon Musk, right? You're you're yeah. told by all these people you're a genius, and you buy a platform that is pretty much nothing but people criticizing other people, and all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. you're like the, the being criticized in chief. It's like, but I thought everyone thought I was a 
genius and everyone loved me. It's like, well, no, apparently not. <laughs> um, welcome to the world. So, yeah. you know, coming back, it's like every second that I'm looking at Alfonso Davies and there's all these articles and he's on the cover of McLean's and he's this or that and the other. And I mean, he's a 22 year old kid, right? And he had yeah. a pretty good tournament, all things considered, but mm-hmm. he didn't walk on water. He didn't single-handedly win a match. He didn't, um, you know, he didn't dominate any games, but I'm not sure we should expect him to. He's a, he's a mm-hmm. very, very good player capable of absolutely amazing things in spurts. But you look at, um, you know, even a Mbappe, but also, you know, a Modric or a Messi. I mean, they can legitimately change games. Yeah. Um, well, and, and he he's doesn't, not he's at that not, level, right? And he's not asked to by like his club, you know? And Absolutely. No. So that's part of it. Like the practice, mm-hmm. the practice of, of being the, the man to take the ball in that moment. Like I'm not saying I, he shouldn't be, and not saying he shouldn't be now. I'm not saying he shouldn't be one day. I'm just saying he doesn't have any experience at it. So I don't it's not that surprising he failed at it. I don't think Canada needs him to be that gay there. Like I think oh, we're I, good I, enough, ideally, we don't, yeah. We don't need him to to um put all that on himself. But I think right. people had that expectation of him, certainly in some quarters, and partly based on outside factors, not necessarily knowing um you know his game and some of those things and i think he put a little bit more on himself and so i think some of the criticism he's gotten whether fair you know a lot of it probably not very fair but i think that all plays into it right is that outside perception that this is supposed to be um you know our star and our our big guy and you know if we failed maybe that's the reason yeah and and john herman said like we need like in his conversation with Andy Petrillo, by the way, gotta take a quick aside. Andy Petrillo was is is an, a Canadian gem, like an absolute superstar, phenomenal at what she does. This qualifying window, like and, and then and then qualifying, like and the World Cup and the coverage is just has just been like unbelievable. And like Christian Jack, like again, like unbelievable. Like we like we're really I think fortunate in Canada with some of the media people that we have like covering stuff because like they're tremendous. Andy, Andy was unbelievable and, and Christian Jack and all those people were unbelievable. So, you know, there you go. They got to take that a quick aside, but you know, I, I agree. Like, I think, I, I think again, like overall it was success. Uh, you know, we got to the world cup that got some experience and that's all, you know, hopefully learning that they can take, including Alfonso, you know, if he's willing to learn and grow and get better, which, you know, it seems like in his career, he's done a lot of learning and growing and getting better. So hopefully we can trust that he will learn from all this. We, you know, it's a lot of noise. You, you were there, like, it's a lot of bustle. I'm sure it's, it's crazy. You're trying to get from place to place. Herdman had schedules. He had, um, you know, messages. He had so many things going through his head, I'm sure too. So, you know, to, to properly articulate a thing like all the time is, was probably like a real challenge given the whirlwind that, that it must've been for, for all of them. Um, so, so to, to nail it all perfect, you know, maybe, maybe to ask a lot, um, but, uh, you know, overall it just, it's, it's also hard to be reflective maybe in that moment when you're there, especially for the first time, um, and all that hullabaloo and, and everything and, you know, how much praise he got, you know, after the Belgium game, you know, you talked about Alfonso and same with John Herdman, right. He's talked about how, you know, he's he's a guy that was never a pro and this and that and and being told how great he is so much previously had uh, he said he drank his own Kool-Aid in 2015. You know, it's very much possible that maybe he drank some Kool-Aid after the Belgium game, too. So, 
you know, there's just my point is that there's probably a huge laundry list of of learnings that they can take or or not take. And we'll find out, I guess, in the next couple of years as they try to win a gold cup and try to compete at a at a, at a Copa America. And uh, even though that's not confirmed, but I think that's pretty good. And, uh, you know, what what else is there to say? I mean, that our opinions at the end of the day, like, will mean don't mean anything in John Herdman's opinion in the, in the Canada soccer and those players, whether they learn from them or not is, is going to determine how successful they are moving forward. That's kind of the, the bottom line. So people can be grumpy or not, but there you go. Might as well be, might as well be happy and positive. So I'm guessing there was a lot of, a lot of takeaways that, you know, that, that, he, that you had, uh, you know, from the tournament as a whole in terms of the way it was run off the field, the way it was played on the field. You talked about how fun it was to watch. I know it was fun to watch, you know, even from home. And I definitely, you know, we're recording this the day after the final. Um, I already miss it. <laughs> I'm, I got I got Wigan and uh, and Sheffield United on uh, right now on the zone because I miss soccer. But yeah, I don't know. Just uh, it, there's there's so much so much to take away even from not a Canada. Um, you know, what what were maybe like your top two, three favorite storylines from the World Cup? I mean, I think Messi uh, playing as well as he did and being as central as he was to finally win a title, I think it's just the, the big one. Um, it's not every World Cup where you have that central figure who who really dominates the tournament the way he did. I mean, obviously, Mbappe had an incredible tournament. I think quietly, Antoine Griezmann had a really great tournament. Unfortunately, he had a pretty poor final, which is going to overshadow that a little bit, but um yeah i mean you know much like maradona in 86 this is a messy um tournament that will forever be associated with him and and he played brilliantly throughout it so um and tied directly into that is the fact that from day one um there was lots of pretty great support from a lot of fans but uh the argentines were there um in incredible numbers and were probably the liveliest most uh joyful group of fans um, from the start of the tournament to, to the end, and it never never waned, um, even after losing to Saudi Arabia. Um, <clears throat> they really kind of helped set the tone and the mood for 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 the celebration that was everyone coming together there. So, um, you know, it was a really special tournament, um, and I think everyone will associate with Argentina. I think the opportunity to go to as many matches as people did and um, see as many matches in a short amount of time as they did for anyone that went, that's going to be something that really sticks out as well. Um, and I think um, in the broader perspective, one thing that I'm going to remember is just um, meeting a lot of people from around the world and people from different cultures that I'm not always exposed to um, which you know in a multicultural Canada, like multicultural multicultural country like Canada is not that normal. I mean, you, you meet lots of people from all over the world all the time, but um, it was interesting to 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 just have an incredible amount of people from all over the place, all in the same place, and just kind of get their perspective on things and seeing how how similar everyone was and how you know it's so trite and cliche, but you know it really is true that people were united by the game and uh, a lot of the outside factors that. Um, might have divided us weren't really an issue with um during those those weeks there um but yeah i think in terms of the tournament there's lots to criticize there i mean we'll see what they do with the stadiums um you know the whole sale areas they almost built a city to up around a stadium they're going to tear partly down it's 
very strange the 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 um importance placed on um consumerism and the financial aspect of things just absolutely dominates everything um even more than western countries are obviously um you know having money and status is is, is uh, an important thing but it was just it was incredible how um people with money kind of lived in their own reality that was not the same as the rest of us and there was a huge mm -hmm. number of the population that just kind of lived their day-to-day lives and were, were getting by but not by a ton and you know they almost had no interaction with the rest of the population of their country and it was um you know it was which isn't unbelievably different compared to other places right i mean there's lots of places in the world where you know people live in ivory towers compared to people that do a lot of the work but it was just an extreme that was hard to get your head around at times um mm -hmm. so that was interesting as well and um you know i, I i'm curious what happens next with qatar i didn't feel an overwhelming passion for the tournament from the people I met that were living in the country, whether they were um, immigrants to the country or were, were um, sort of native Qataris, but um, certainly the infrastructure is there for them to grow in the game. They've been pretty close to being at the World Cup a few times now. So with the expanded tournament, I would think they'd get a pretty good shot at being there in four years. But um, I don't know. We'll see. It's uh, it's interesting if their domestic league grows the same way some others have. Um, obviously, Saudi Arabia's got a decent domestic league as well. Mm. You know, China was able to put together a great domestic league for a short amount of time just by throwing money at people. So it certainly can be done if the interest is there. But mm -hmm. um, I just don't know if the interest will be there. And if you do end up having a bunch of aging um, superstars play, making a lot of money, does that really help anything? It certainly has done a lot to uh, transform the fortunes of the Chinese national team when they had, you know, a surprisingly world-class league. Maybe not quite world-class, but, I mean, they had some pretty good players over yeah. there for, you know, four or five years, six years, whatever it was, when they were kind of in their prime, and, you know, the national team didn't really reap any benefits. So uh, there's not really any shortcut around being kind of in that competitive area but at the same time you know they i believe qatar is still a radiation champion so i'm not going to discount them at all for four years from now but uh, they certainly have uh worked to do if they're going to really consistently be one of those top teams and obviously if you're going to compete in asia you should be um competitive at a world cup you know certainly south korea australia and japan are pretty much competitive anytime they come over there they don't always get out of their groups or anything but they're usually pretty pretty competitive mm -hmm. teams at a tough out so you know, I think that's got to be the goal for Qatar on the, on the pitch. But, you know, off the pitch, curious to kind of see how things kind of play out and how much the, the criticisms that happen before the tournament, if they continue and how much talk there is and if there is um, changes to the way uh, workers are treated and if some of those reforms that have been talked about actually do come to pass as the, uh, the spotlight kind of dims on the country. Yeah, it was. it's interesting you talk about, like, Qatar... There, like, I was thinking about, um, like, a podcast I was listening to. Someone was talking about the Red Bull Sports Group, um, you know, that has uh, obviously Leipzig and Salzburg and among others, and uh, New York, obviously, and uh, and they, you know, we we think about people, you know, having things like soccer teams and World Cups to try to make money, right? Like, generate revenue and and, and that kind of thing, but like. For Red Bull, like they, their soccer teams, like they want to win and it's better to, for business to win for sure. But 
Like they exist to sell like sport energy drinks, like, you know, like mm-hmm. all these things exist to, to grow the business. And so this world cup wasn't there to like really help Qatar in terms of, you know, becoming better at soccer or all those, you know, you even really help the country, like help the people on the ground at all. They just have so much money that they can use the world cup as like an advertisement for their, like for their country to, to sell it to the, like more often, just like Red Bull selling, energy drinks you know with 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 sports cars and soccer teams you know it's kind of backwards right like <laughs> it seems well, to me so it's like that that's how much money these people have is my point <laughs> yeah and i i but i also didn't think like you look at dubai like they want to um you know build the city of the 21st century and convince people this is an incredible place to come visit and really push that tourism whereas um you know, Qatar wants sort of the same thing, but they don't want to actually change anything. It's like, well, come here. This is all these great things to do, but you know, I mean, don't drink obviously. And, um, you know, there's no gambling and there's, you know, so it's, it's, we're not going to change the way we are, which is fine. I'm not saying they should certainly. Um, but give us your money on our terms. Right. Yeah. It's sort of this half measure. And I just sort of think, well, um, you, you know, and it's, it's tough to really put into words just how um, certain parts of the city are 100% catered to people with unfathomable amounts of money. Yeah. Like even just the 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 airport, like you know, looking for maybe finding a gift. It's like you know, there's a Hermes and there's a Swarovski, and it's just like I I'm not in a tax bracket to shop here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bunch of McLaren sports cars outside the duty free. I don't know if you could buy one or if they were just on show, but it was just sort of. <laughs> this unreal kind of world yeah. um you know that was just very different from the part of the city i stayed in um but yeah it definitely felt like you know this this place is not for me this place is for people of millions and millions and millions of dollars which you know i guess maybe people who have that kind of money might enjoy that but i it's like you know you could go to vegas but you can't do any of the things vegas is kind of famous for but it has all the the glitz and the the high end stuff, but none of the you know none of the drinking, none of the gambling, none of the you know what some people would consider fun. Um, yeah. I certainly didn't miss the drinking at the tournament. I thought it was kind of nice that there wasn't much, right. if any. Um, but yeah, it just it was an it was an interesting vibe on the whole. Uh, and certainly during the tournament, it was easy to kind of put that aside. Um, I mean, it was easy to really go days at a time without talking to anybody who was kind of a native Qatari. They just weren't around a ton. And when they were, they weren't terribly keen to chit chat Mm -hmm. with people. They're kind of doing their own thing, which is fair enough. But, um, yeah, it was a lot easier. You end up talking to lots of people from other places in the world. So, Mm. um, yeah, it was interesting. It was, it was, it was very different, um, which is part of the, the fun of going, right. It's a chance to experience something that's a little bit of a different culture, um, even I think amongst the the part of the world, I think it's a little bit different than a lot of us neighboring nations. Um, you know, even Oman and, and UAE, UAE and certainly Saudi are a little bit different than uh, the Qatars as well. Like just in terms of what? Just an, an openness to, to uh, you know, I think, I think, you know, Oman, certainly Muscat has heard good things about tourism and welcoming Europeans and trying, you know, really trying to draw people. And Qatar, I didn't feel like they, you know, it was like, take us or leave us. It was like, mm. we're not, 
we're gonna, you know, you should uh-huh. be happy that we're here. This is this is great. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. Oh, so it wasn't very friendly, is what you mean? Well, I but it was. I mean, that being or said, it was whitewash friendliness. All the all the volunteers were super friendly. Um, you know, but it was just, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it, like I the the people you know the people you met you know that were driving the buses that were welcoming you to venues that were working in the the Donair place around the corner of the shawarma place like they were all great they were incredibly friendly but they were you know temporarily there um a lot of them if you ask them weren't exactly loving life in qatar they you know it was a means to an end they were making more money and it was good for them um, all the people that worked in our apartments are all leaving at the end of the tournament. They're all moving on to other things and they don't mm. seem too disappointed to be leaving. You know, mm. a couple of people are talking to their golf to Thailand in January and they're really excited about it. So, mm. um, you know, it's, it, it felt like it was a, a PR campaign on some levels to try and convince the world that this is this great modern world-class place. And I think they did a nice job of putting the tournament on. Um, you know, there was no, you know, there was no security issues. There was no problems off the pitch. There was no fights. There was no violence. You know, well, there was no like, booze. So, you know, right. You know, I, exactly. I'm sure there but was I mean, some booze somewhere if you found it. I mean, honestly, I, I don't think it was that hard to find alcohol if you really wanted to. But again, <laughs> I don't know. I had one lukewarm $16 Carlsberg and I was pretty much good for the tournament after that. <laughs> um, you know, it just isn't really worth it if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, but it, it, I didn't feel like there was a, 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 a curiosity or a, you know, I don't, if they wanted everyone to come back, I'm not sure what they would sell you on. Hmm. Cause if you took away all the, if you took away the soccer, game. all the matches and all the excitement yeah. of the tournament, and then took away all the people who came to watch the tournament. What would be? I mean, you're, to go there for? you're left with some some nice, some nice museums, some nice, uh, nice uh, right. uh, physical spaces on the harbor front, some nice walkways, um, and a lot of really high scale hotels um, and and shopping, mm-hmm. which you know I mean, you can go to. Can go to Rodeo Drive and do that too if you wanted to. Like it's you know yeah. it's not it's not particularly that different. I mean, um, you know the desert stuff and being able to go say, out the sand dunes and see the sunset. Like there's some cool things you can do up there, and mm. and I think a lot of people go up there fill of that. But um, every country's got something kind of different or unique about it that's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, I just I think the the real joy in the tournament and the real memories came from. Um, the other people there for the tournament as well as the matches and the pitch uh-huh. uh, and the rest of it just felt like um, just really, really um, aggressive consumerism. Oh, there you go. Well, Gurley, uh, you know, we started this back when Canada was playing <laughs> Bermuda or whatever, and um, we'll continue it. Sorry, got to sneeze. <sighs> Excuse me. I'll cut that out. <laughs> um we'll continue this as canada does other tournaments and does other things but uh been an off aw- awesome time uh, to go through canada's qualifying the highs and lows and the, the roller coaster that it was girly thank you so much and thank you to everybody who listened yeah thanks for everyone listening we've got uh, some nation league matches coming up here in march and then uh hopefully more nations league in june and a gold cup in july and 
Women's World Cup shortly thereafter, pretty much the same time as the Gold Cup. So, uh, yeah, lots of stuff going on this summer already. And the summer, even though it doesn't feel like it outside today, is uh, not terribly far away. So, <laughs> no, for sure. Well, there you go. I'll leave it. There.